is Isaac Morehouse. Welcome to the podcast where we discuss education, entrepreneurship, big ideas, how to put them into practice in the real world, and above all, how to live free. Today's episode is an interview I did here in Charleston. There is a local radio station that has a Saturday morning show called Beyond the Business. And my brother, Levi Morehouse, who has been on this podcast before, uh, more than once, went on there to talk about his story. And it's kind of, a, it's an hour long show that, that really covers where you came from, your childhood, your influences, not so much your business itself, but kind of who you are. And it, they talk with local entrepreneurs uh, in the Charleston area. And it's a really, really well-made show. Uh, I had a really fun time there. And this episode aired on January 16th, I believe, originally. But here it is in all of its glory, reposted to the Isaac Morehouse podcast. I hope you enjoy You're listening to Beyond the Business, presented by Setup, on-demand tech support. And welcome back to Beyond the Business, where we talk to people you know about stories you don't. Brought to you by Setup, on-demand tech support. I'm Leslie Haywood, along with Eric Cox, and today we are talking to Isaac Morehouse, founder and CEO of Praxis. And if that last name sounds familiar, it's because last week we had the pleasure of having on our show Levi Morehouse, Isaac's brother. What and, a family. And by the way, it's the first time in the history of this show that we've had brothers on I know, back in the back. same studio at the same time, but never back-to-back <laughs> shows have we had any kind of relation. So this is a first on our show. So, so no after, pressure on. After Levi came on, you realized you had to bring on a more interesting. Exactly. A more interesting more yeah, right. right. It was just not a good enough show. So well, he said, you need my brother. And by the way, <laughs> if you um, would like to go listen to that show of one of the brothers, uh, go to acagcharleston.com. Again, that's acagcharleston.com. Top right-hand corner, you'll see an icon for podcasts, radio podcasts. Go on there, click on Levi Morehouse. What a great show that was, uh, but not uh, probably uh, to be outdone. I think we're going to have an awesome show ahead of us today, right? I know. So, it's amazing. Isaac, we're Two extremely successful entrepreneurs coming out of very unlikely upbringings. And I, I just, I know how this story starts, so I'm so excited to get into it. But before we get into those early years, like we always do, um, give us a quick 30-second rundown of what is what is Praxis? Yeah, we are all about helping young people do awesome stuff. What do I mean by that? I think high school, college are not really enough to transition young people into careers and lives that they're excited about, and really, especially those that want to be entrepreneurs. There's more opportunity than ever to be an entrepreneur today. It's easier than ever to get started, and there's more need than ever for entrepreneurs. So what we do, we have a year-long program where we place young people with entrepreneurs. We have a network of businesses across the country, and they work with them during that 12-month program, and they're also doing weekly coaching sessions, personal and professional development projects, a really intensive experience at kind of discovering what you do best and doing it. And, and we really just focus on learning through doing the experiential aspect. So I, I don't think entrepreneurship is something that can be learned in a classroom. So we, we're really there to help get young people out into the world. 
Well, we're looking forward to diving in all that, particularly in the second half of the show. Um, but as Leslie mentioned, we're going to take you back a little bit down memory lane, and uh, let's talk a little bit about growing up. Of course, if you listened last week, you know uh, a little bit about the the background growing up in Michigan, but we want to hear your version of what it was like to grow up uh, in the great state of Michigan. Well, it was cold. <laughs> First <laughs> they of both all. said the same thing. <laughs> cold. Shocker. Cold. No, but you know what? I, one of the reasons I moved down here was to, to avoid the cold, but I haven't, it hasn't been so successful uh, this, this last week. It's been a little chilly. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you want to know about growing up in Michigan? I Just mean, what was life like as a youngster? Yeah, you know, we so I was I was homeschooled and um, I had a, a a pretty high degree of of freedom to to kind of explore and do do what I wanted to do, um, but there were a few things that were always steady. I think one was work ethic was always very um, emphasized. So you know, even though we had a pretty loose schooling structure. I mean, you know, we had some classes and some different subjects and things like that. We always had household chores uh, that we had to do. My mom was very big on that. And I always had a, I mean, I had paid jobs from like, I don't know, I'm probably violating some child labor laws here. Like from age 10, probably he was doing delivering papers. Don't worry, it's or, just us. Nobody else. Yeah, we're just three of us. Um, you know, and I think that ability to earn money on your own and just learn from from working from creating value for people from a very early age that was huge i mean i liked it i actually enjoyed it most of the time i mean not not all of it certainly had jobs that weren't fun but um i think that ability to know that you can do something and accomplish something on your own was really huge for me early on but i mean for the most part i I played legos and i played baseball and got angry uh losing one-on-one basketball games to to levi my brother um that was, you know, that was a, a good sort of a, I don't know, that's, that's a summary of my childhood, I guess. Now, when, when Levi was four, there was kind of a, a an event that happened that really made an impact on him. And I don't know who's, who's older. He's older. He's, he's older. He's a year okay. older. I was going to say that. He, yeah. 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 He looks so much older than you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so when you were three, so you were t- too, too young to really know any different, but tell us, tell us about your dad and yeah. about that. And yeah. how that affected you? Absolutely, yeah. So I was I was three, and my dad was in a car accident, and he was in a coma um, right after the accident for uh, for a few months, and it was sort of touch and go whether or not he would ever you know come out of the coma or, or anything. Uh, he eventually did, and had some rehab, and, and came home uh, to live with us again. But he to this day he has um, a closed head injury, so he can't walk. He has no sense of balance. Um, so he's confined to a wheelchair. He has no short-term memory, really. Um, you know, if I, if I introduced him to, to you, he'd forget you, you know, two minutes later. Um, he does have long-term memory, so things can sort of get embedded in there. And he just, a lot of different things. I mean, he's he's he always thinks that he's hungry, for example. Uh, he doesn't remember, you know, if he's full. So he requires basically 24-hour care. And he can carry out a conversation and things like that. But so in, in many ways, he wasn't, a presence in our life. Like I didn't have a dad in the normal sense. He was there and someone that you can converse with to, to some degree, but in many ways we kind of had to take care of him uh, rather than having a, you know, a dad there that's, that's taking care of you as a kid. Now, because I was so young, I, you know, it was funny. I, I remember distinct moments where I would be at a, a little league game or something like that. And I would see someone in a wheelchair and I'll think, Oh man, that must be really hard. And you know, I'd see like their family or something. And then it would dawn on me, Oh, that's, that's me. Like people probably think that about me, but it just seemed so normal to me. I was so used to it that I think, you know, 
I, I didn't have this moment of, oh my gosh, this is so hard. It just, that was kind of life. That was kind of life. Um, and I, I didn't really, you know, I, I don't think probably being as young as I was, I probably didn't have as much to process and go through as my older brother and, and my older sister. Um, but it definitely made things different. I mean, my mom was kind of on, on her own there and uh, homeschooling us. And um, we all kind of had to pick up the slack and, and be really independent. It's one thing your brother mentioned last week's show was just certainly what he learned from your mother and saw how disciplined to do so many tasks, get so much done. And now we realize we're just delegating it to you kids, right? That's how that <laughs> yeah, so, yeah um, exactly. So let's talk about a student. How were you in terms of grades, uh, more involved in sports and ex- extracurricular activities, or were you really a studious book kind of kid? No, I was not studious. I don't think I had any interest in books until my maybe mid-teens um, it was probably because I broke up with a girl and then I was depressed. So I had to go read books. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know what else to do. Um, I really, I mean, I wasn't a bad student, um, but I always kind of, I always was the one kind of finding like hacks and tricks and like, okay, shortcuts, you know, um, there's always a way to, to get the grade that you need, but to get it faster and quicker and not have to worry about it. And I didn't stress too much about school related stuff. Um, I always had fine, you know, fine grades, but uh, that wasn't that wasn't really. I wouldn't have defined myself as like a studious person. Um, so it was pri- primarily playing sports and you know just having fun. I mean, I got into music a little bit in my teens as well, and you know trying to trying to be in a band and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I, I I really around as I said, probably sixteen or something. I did start to get interested in I don't know, kind of the life of the mind. I picked up some philosophy and, and, um, you know, really, really kind of got interested in, uh, philosophy, economics, sort of intellectual pursuits. And that's, that's basically stayed with me. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader and I just, I love, I love exploring new ideas, um, sort of self self education, if you will, you know, I, I never really enjoyed it when it was in a formal classroom setting for the most part. I mean, with a few exceptions, but once I kind of got turned on to my own, following my own curiosity, um, then I kind of became very studious in, in a way, not not in anything that required a grades or tests. So around that time, you know, when you started becoming your more studious self, what did you think you wanted to do when you grow up? You know, that is the thing. I had I had no idea because I've always been a generalist. Like I, I can pick up basics pretty quickly and and get a, get by, you know, doing most things fairly well. But I've never had an interest in becoming the best at anything. I kind of get bored and I want to move on. And I would rather what I really like. I like people, so I'd rather find someone who doesn't know how talented they are and help them do it better than I could. Like, okay, I learned the basics, and then I'll go find someone who can do it better than me and help put them in a position to to take off and then kind of move on. And so, you know, when you're thinking in terms only of kind of traditional industries or career tracks or college majors, it doesn't really leave you with anything. Like when I went to college, I changed majors like every week, you know, because I (laughs) I just didn't know what that meant. Um, Right. And it took me a long time to realize uh, I'm – I'm kind of just an entrepreneur at heart. You know, I like to build things. I like to create things. I like to rally people around a vision and find people to kind of take it up and take it in a direction, take it even further than I could. Um, but I didn't know that, you know, and there's not really there's not really a way to define that when you're young. So uh, I just kind of tried a lot of stuff. <laughs> just kind of a, a wanderer, a drifter. Uh, did it drive your parents crazy? <laughs> no, not really. You know, this, this is one thing that I... 
And this is a really recent realization. Uh, in fact, I think talking to to Levi, um, we both sort of came upon this realization. My mom had basically no expectations for us. And I don't say that in a negative way. Like, you know, she wouldn't care if we were, you know, sitting on the couch eating Cheetos for the rest of our lives or something. Not at all. Like, I mean, she wanted our happiness, but there was never any external pressure. She never, she never said like, you need to check into this college or you need to try to do this or you need to... She kind of just let us do our thing. And she was, I always had a sense that as long as we were working hard and having sort of basic integrity, she was proud of us. There wasn't any pressure. And I think the absence of that expectation was really, really important because there's so much stress and pressure that young people feel to like, to pick the one thing. And I got to, you guys know this, the thing that you're going to be doing in 10 or 20 years probably doesn't even exist yet when you're 16 or 20. And if it does exist, you probably don't know what it is. You wouldn't know how to describe it. So you kind of need a little bit of freedom to not have to pick that one thing. And I think I had that. And that's a huge credit to my mom. Wow. Good stuff. And by the way, in case you just tuned in, you're wondering whose voice that is. It's that of Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Praxis. Also the brother of last week's guest, uh, Levi Morehouse. And so, Isaac, we know that you uh, then ventured on to uh, school, uh, I guess, kind of like your brother, Western Michigan. Uh, to do your undergrad, and then also went on to, I think, get your master's there at uh, Detroit Mercy. Yeah. So staying in Michigan for education, but what was the college experience like? Yeah, I was very practical, very pragmatic. Um, So I wasn't thinking so much about status or elite schools or anything like that. I was thinking at the time, I believed, which which I no longer believe. This is one of the sort of fun things about Praxis. I believe that you literally couldn't succeed, couldn't get a job anywhere unless you had a degree. So it's kind of just like a ticket to a job, right? So I had to go get that ticket to a job. And I wanted to do it as efficiently as I could for as low cost as I could. My mom paid for some, but I paid. We kind of split the cost of college. So I was paying my way through. So I actually went to community college for my last two years of high school. So I was homeschooled. And then I was able to transfer all my credits and I completed my my undergrad when I was 19, not because I'm a genius. <laughs> Western Michigan is not like a, you know, it's not like an Ivy League school. I'll just say that. I'll just say that. I will tell you this, by the way. My assistant said to tell you guys, both of you, go Chips. Oh, that's the Chippewas. That's yeah, Central so Susan Michigan. Susan said go yeah. Chips. You would know what that yeah, means. Yeah, they're, they're the big rivals, right? Yeah, the in-state rival Chippewas. Well, uh, She thought I, you'd get a kick out yeah, of it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, so, I mean, my college experience. So, I... I crammed all of my classes, you know, I would usually take like as many as I could, like 14, 15, 18 credit hours a semester. I would cram it all into two days a week if I could, or three days a week. And then I would work the other days. And I had this realization as I'm going to all these classes and most of them, the professors didn't seem like they wanted to be there. They would rather be researching. Most of the students were hung over half the time. <laughs> right. And it just, it was kind of this big charade. Like everyone's just there to get the piece of paper. Very few, with a few exceptions. I had a few philosophy classes where people really enjoyed it. And they're, you know, they were really sort of there to, to, to dive into the ideas. But for the most part, everyone was kind of just going through the motions. And I thought, I'm paying all this money for this and learning very little. Meanwhile, the other two or three days a week, I'm working. At the time, I was traveling around the state of Michigan installing telecommunications, um, you know, cabling and things like that at, at businesses before pre-Wi-Fi when you needed a, you know, physical wire. <laughs> right. And I was, I was in way over my head every day and I was learning so much. I mean, I was, you know, I had to come up with quotes for customers and I didn't know what to do. I just, I was learning on the fly and I loved it. And I thought I'm earning money doing this and then I'm turning around and paying it all. For this college education, that it wasn't bad. I didn't hate it, but it just felt like it was too slow, too costly for the return I was getting. Now, during this time, were there any uh, teachers or mentors that kind of 
that you turn to or talk to about this, you seem to be getting disillusioned with the college experience, which led you to where you are today. But during that time, did you have anyone to talk to about it? Yeah, Was there anyone know, important in your life then? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, my brother has been huge. I mean, he's, he's my older brother, and despite a little sibling rivalry, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, and, and I think not having my dad there in the typical sense, you know, he, he kind of filled that role in some senses for me as well, uh, Levi did. So, he was huge, and he's always been a couple steps ahead of, of what I'm doing. He's done it before, and so he's gone through some of the same things. So he was always really, really big to talk to. And, and I remember um, one conversation in particular with him where I said, yeah, you know, it's it's weird. I, I look around the classroom. First, I worry about myself. What am I going to do? What, what kind of career am I going to have? And then I look around the classroom. And I see these kids, you know, the hungover kids, and I wonder, what are they going to do? And and Levi says, well, they're going to be, you know, your dentist or uh, your lawyer or, right? you know, they're going to go on to have careers just like everyone else. I said, they don't seem capable of that. And he's like, nobody is. He said, that's the thing. Nobody's qualified. Everybody's making it up as they go. Right. And that was so huge for me because... It took all the pressure off of me feeling like I had to sort of be some kind of genius to realize that nobody knows what they're doing. Even the people who are doing amazing things, they're making it up. Like they had to learn as they go. None of us are qualified. And that kind of helps you realize, it kind of lets you treat life more as a game and see it more as possibility rather than all this pressure. So that was really big. I mean, Levi, Levi was huge. Certainly applies to our radio show. None of us know what we're doing. We're just making it up as we go along. You guys are the exception, of course. Clearly. No. Uh, So you come out of college. I see, you know, you had several different roles. You've you've, uh, worked with the... um, uh, a telecommunications company out of college, House of Representatives, your legislative aide, and then you, you worked with a public policy center, but then you get involved with the Institute for Humane Studies, and you spent many years there, including uh, a gifts officer. Uh, talk about your roles working for somebody else yeah. and, and what that meant to you before you became a true entrepreneur. Yeah, uh, I, you know, and, and I think I always had that little entrepreneurial itch, but I never quite knew what to do with it, and I never had, like, an idea to pursue. Um so a real brief rundown, right after graduating, uh, my brother and I actually together started a, a company, a telecommunications company, basically doing the same thing as the guy we had worked for before. Um, he wasn't too happy about it. We thought we could, we thought we could do it better. Right. Yeah. Um, turns out we couldn't. <laughs> my, Levi was working a, as an accountant full time and running sort of the business side uh, on the side because he always needs to work like 5,000 hours a week. He's just wired that way. And so I was doing this full time. I was driving around trying to you know sell people and we, we had a few jobs and you know when we were busy, it was fun, but it was too unstable. It was up and down. So we folded up shop. Uh, I got married. I had a house and a mortgage and no job when I came back from my honeymoon. So it was really just, let's let's figure this out. Let's get something going. I ended up working in the state legislature in Michigan for three years. And and this was not just because I was looking for a job. I, I've always been really motivated by the idea of freedom and trying to help make the world a freer and better place. And so my initial thought was, okay, this must mean politics, right? You want to remove bad laws and that type of thing. Um, 
But I realized over over time that what freedom means and how to make that happen has changed a lot for me. And and I sort of my current conception is that really starts on the individual level, being in control of your own career, your own education, and kind of taking the reins of your life rather than the political realm. I'm 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 not at all interested in politics anymore. <laughs> it's it's ugly to see the sausage get made. We'll put it that way. So so I worked there for three years. Then I worked at a think tank, uh, but I was doing kind of student recruitment stuff. I was all over college campuses across the state of Michigan, putting on events and trying to get students interested in policy ideas and engaging with those things. And so, um, you know, that was kind of when I started working with and around college students, high school students, and basically continued that for the next almost decade. Um, as you mentioned, while I was at the Mackinac Center, I also got a master's in economics. Um, was really, really interested in that and thought about going into academia briefly. But then I went to the Institute for Humane Studies, and that meant moving my family, my wife, and we had a child at the time to uh, the D.C. area. Um, and that was a big move. That was scary, but, um, I think it was, I think it was really good for us to kind of get over the fear of, of leaving the known and entering, venturing out into the world a little bit. Um, but I feel like I'm talking too long about this. Is this, am I going on too long here? No, no, no. Okay, good. Yeah. Story's unfolding. And, um, you know, it's really about that role of working for somebody else before you jump into the entrepreneur waters. Yeah. And and I kind of, I kind of thought, okay. I don't know exactly what I want to do. I'd like to maybe do something on my own, but I don't even know where I would start. So I really just followed this one rule that I have. And I tell young people this all the time. You've heard people say, like, follow your passion, do what you you love. I think that's a little too hard and a little too stressful for most people because you don't necessarily know what that is, as we mentioned before. So my rule is... I'm writing this down. Don't do things you hate. That's it. (laughs) It's really simple. Just don't do things that you hate doing. And as long as you're not doing things that you really dislike, you're moving in roughly the right direction. Right. So I hope my wife heard that one this morning because I hate doing laundry and things like that. And so, yes. Honey, See, now look. you understand. I'm just following Isaac's rule. Tell her. Of don't Isaac, do says, one on me. Isaac says, I don't have to do laundry no more. <laughs> you know, I, I thought, well... As long as I'm not bored and, you know, feeling dead inside uh, as I, you know, I don't, I don't want to slog through. Like, life is too short. I mean, I even had this approach in, in school. I ended up picking a major that was the least boring. So, anyway, um, so I kind of just picked, you know, jobs that I found interesting. And I tried to be entrepreneurial within those jobs, try to kind of innovate and make things better. Um, and it, it just sort of was a lot of experimentation and bouncing around before I eventually came to the idea and the confidence to go with the idea for launching Praxis. Idea on confidence. That's certainly when we come back, something we want to talk about, building that courage to jump off the cliff. Yes, yes, yes. So unfortunately, we have to go to a break. Again, you've been listening to Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Praxis. And you've been doing so here on Beyond the Business, presented by Setup On Demand Tech Support. We'll be back after the short break. You're listening to Beyond the Business, presented by Setup, on-demand tech support. And welcome back to Beyond the Business. People you know, stories you might not, right, Leslie? That's right. We're excited to have you here with us this Saturday morning. If you uh, hopefully had the chance to listen to the first half of the show, Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Praxis, which we're going to dive into, was just talking about the fact um, that uh, you were getting tired and uh, was ready for a change and was ready to jump into the entrepreneurship waters. And you mentioned the words about building confidence, courage, you know, having that, that momentum to make the move. Let's talk about that moment of the actual transition because here you are with, you've got a wife, 
child, that's a big time to make a move into the entrepreneurial waters. Yeah, it's it's a, definitely a big time. And, and to sort of describe where I was, so I was I had moved down here to, to Mount Pleasant. So even though I was working for um, an organization that was based in the D.C. area, I was doing fundraising. So I was traveling all over the country and meeting with people um, and raising support for for the organization. So I had a lot of flexibility. I actually I loved what I was doing. Uh, I was good at it. It was a great organization. I believed in the mission. So I get to live, you know, work remotely. Everyone, you know, would look and say, "Why would you? Why would you even want to quit?" But I just knew I was just itchy. I, I wanted to do something new. I'd been doing this for a couple of years, and I just felt like there's something. Something new has got to happen here. I was starting to get bored, right? And what I say before, don't don't be bored. Don't do things you don't like doing. So, um, you know, I th- this is gonna sound weird. This is gonna sound. This is like one of those movie stories. But, <laughs> Lay it on us. But so when I what I do, this is one of the reasons I moved down here because I love being on the coast. I love the water. Right. So what I do when I'm feeling sort of restless, I just need to clear my head. I go for a walk on the beach. So I went down to Isle of Palms, and one day, and I was just you know, it's like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just be happy with what I'm doing now? It's it's a great job, you know. I'm, I'm all restless. I'm gonna go for a walk on the beach. I go down to Isle of Palms. I'm walking on the beach. And I, and I see, I didn't literally see, it wasn't like a vision, but I see in my mind's eye, the word praxis, like on the horizon and, <laughs> and I'm like praxis. And, you know, from some of my interest in economics, uh, the word, it's, it's a Greek word and it means basically to learn by doing. Um, so it's, it's about sort of taking action. And I get this idea. It's like a flood of ideas about. All these things, almost the culmination of all these different experiences I had from my own college and, and early career experience to all the things I learned from working with students over the last few years. And then in fundraising, talking to all these business owners who say they, they can never find good talent, even though all these kids are coming out with degrees, they don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, this is it. I want to build a program where I let young people learn by doing, where I help them, I pair them up with awesome businesses and entrepreneurs who are looking for young talent and let them learn on the job and then combine it with all these amazing resources that are out there now, thanks to the internet, which you have sort of a, an online learning experience combined with real world work experience. So this all flooded into my mind. I get in my car. Yeah. On this walk, I drive home as fast as I can. And then I just start hammering away. And for like three hours straight, I was just in the zone and I just typed up, it was like 12 pages maybe, which was basically a business, business plan. plan, right? Yeah, sure. Right. I mean, a lot of the stuff in there is is the copy, the marketing copy on the website now, and it was a really interesting experience because when I look back, all of the sort of raw input that led to that kind of moment, it it was all the result of a lot of work and uh, experience and all these things that had been bouncing around sort of in my subconscious over all this time. Um, so I don't think it was just an accident. It wasn't like you know something descended from heaven and here's this idea, Isaac. It was. It was the result of a lot of things I'd been working around, but they just hadn't coalesced in that way. Um, and I'd had ideas before and for things that I thought I might want to start, whatever. But they all felt like when I thought about them, if I, I would think if I knew this was going to succeed, I would try it. But this was different. I thought whether it succeeds or fails, I have to try it because oh. I need the answer. I yeah. need to know. See, oh my God, I, that resonates with me. That's exactly what I tell people when I started my business. Exactly. <laughs> it, it was an idea that I had and I did not care if I failed Yes. because I just had, I had to do it. I had to see it. And I, that is just so. It's, I, it's the need to, it's the willing to fail test. I yes. call it, you know, are you willing to fail on this idea? And, and if it you're didn't not, matter. yeah, then maybe don't go for it. But if you, yeah. Yeah, like you said, it did not matter. I had to see if I could do it. It was just so 
it was a compulsion almost. Yeah. And so what did you do? Did you like, quit that day? Did no, you what, like, so, how does that unfold? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, there was so much, there was so much to be done. I, I barely knew, knew where to start, but I, I started to realize that I had built over the previous decade, a lot of what I call social capital, right? Whereas it, it's, it's valuable relationships with people where I have created a lot of goodwill. So I had kind of always gone out of my way to try to help people, whether it's young people looking for career help or anybody I could. I'm, I'm kind of a connector. And to just do that with no expectation of return, just to do it as a way to, you know, again, build social capital. I, was, I would always like, you know, write handwritten thank you notes. One, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, um, it was a pastor I had at, at a church back in Michigan. He said, he said, never underestimate the power of a handwritten thank you note. He said, look for excuses to write people thank you notes. And I thought that was really interesting. Look for excuses. He said, never lie. Never right. thank someone if you're not thankful, but look for excuses. And that does two things. One, it builds a lot of goodwill as you're, you're sort of doing this. But two, it trains your mind to see things that people have done that are beneficial to you. And you become more grateful just in your outlook. When right. you start to ask yourself, is there anything I could thank someone for today? You start right. to realize that there is. Um, but anyway, so I had built up a lot of sort of social capital and it was time to cash it in, right? To go to a lot of people and say, hey, I need your help now. <laughs> right. You know, I have this idea. Uh, I have a URL. I need a logo. Can you design a logo for me for free? Can, you know, trading favors. Can you help me build this curriculum? Can you, I had a network of people in the world of education that helped me build the sort of initial curriculum component. I had a network of business owners from doing fundraising that I sort of used as our, our initial network of business partners. I had networks of young people that I had been working with at these nonprofits over the last few years. So, um, I kind of just hit the ground running, building it as I was still working in my other job. And, um, you know, my, my test was always if I if it gets to the point where I can't deliver on my other job or where I can't move Praxis any further forward, that's when I'll take the jump. But I want to I want to go as far as I can first um, and just get it as far as I can get it. So I did that for about six months. Um getting, you know, getting the website up, getting the whole thing sort of constructed. And um, my wife, you know, she was, she was interested and thought this was all really cool. And then it came to this point where we launched the website. We had an application live for the first class of the program and it was kind of getting a little traction. And I thought, okay, this is it. I got to either do it or not. And so I asked my wife, I said, look, if, if we do this, I don't know where it's going to take us. We could be living in my mom's basement in six months. I don't know. I can't give you an answer. I can't even give you a probability of success. But I know that I really want to do this. I'm not going to do it if you're going to hold it against me. Like, I don't want you to say yes in right. the moment and then later be really mad that you did. So I want you to think about it. So she said, okay, I'll think about it. I'll tell you, I'll give you an answer for sure. I said, because I want to do this together. And I don't want you to, be, to like blame me. I want you to, to know that we chose this together. And if you say no... I will walk away from it. Right. I don't know if she would have said no, what, what that actually would have been like. <laughs> but she took two weeks. I was like scared. Wow. I was like, and I didn't say it. I didn't want to what bring it up. What if she says no? What if she like, says does no? I was like, does she remember? Is she... <laughs> and finally she says, all right, let's do it. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. It was really, it was really, really cool. Yeah, it was really <laughs> what cool. a relief. So, oh yeah, took the leap. I mean, it was, it was a big leap. I, I had a, an initial angel investor, a very small investment enough to basically get it going for the first six months or so, if that, um, and really didn't know what was going to happen after that. You know, at this point I've got three kids, um, you know, uh, 
But I haven't regretted it for a minute. I mean, that was only a little over two years ago, and um, it's been the most amazing two years of my life. And, and is there a, go ahead, go ahead. So I was going to say, when you look back over those couple of years, and obviously you've done a lot right, you're very successful, the business is growing, it's scaling, uh, but if you could go back and change it, there's business, there's uh, folks listening this morning who are either starting a business or thinking about starting a business, you know, love that Monday morning quarterback, what would you do differently in launching that business? Hmm. That's a really that's a really tough one because I'm not that far out yet. And so there's things that probably I have yet to see what could have been done differently. But I'll give you I'll give you a few things. Um, in the very early stages, I think I spent probably a month or two kind of asking waiting for people's approval, sort of. Asking around too much, right? Like, oh well, let me ask one more person if they think it's a good idea. Let me and I think there's not anything wrong with asking people you know about your business idea per se, but it's gonna the information it gives you is going to be of such limited value. Why? Because your friends are always going to tell you that sounds cool, right? right? <laughs> They're not going to be like, that sucks. Or they'll say, oh, that's a great idea, but that's so different than actually putting their money where their mouth is and right. like buying the product or investing or whatever else. And so... You, you, you accumulate all this information that's of really limited value or before the product exists, asking potential customers if they would theoretically be interested in a theoretical product because you want to feel more security that like, if I do this, will anyone, will anyone buy it? But it really, unless you have like a minimum viable product, it's just that information of so little value. And I think it's easy to get stuck there and just continually seeking more information gathering, information gathering. Um, So I did that, I'm a a pretty heavily action biased person, but I think I did that a little longer than I needed to. I think I could have just jumped in a little quicker and started building um, the product. That's That's probably the main one. Now, now that you're moving along in the business, I want to know what does a typical day in the life of Isaac Morehouse, founder and CEO of Praxis look like? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. It's pretty crazy. So, so it's different every day. First of all, we've got, there's five of us working full-time with the company. And then we have a a number of, um, you know, contractors we work with, but we're all spread out all over the country. So our education director is in LA. We've got a business development director in Pittsburgh. I've got one other guy here with me in the Charleston area. Um, so we work remotely. We collaborate nonstop, you know, using, uh, Voxer as an app we use all the time on our phones to communicate email, et cetera. But so when I'm when I'm not on the road, I'm usually at my home office. We've we've had an office before and different stuff, but usually the flexibility works better. So if I'm if it's a home day and I'm not traveling, uh, usually I get up and I usually start the day by writing a blog post. I ha- I write I I blog every single day seven days a week. Uh, although I might be changing that in 2016, I might I might scale it back. But I've done that now for for um, this whole year. I've done that, and the reason I do that is. Oh, well, there's a couple reasons. I mean, one, I like to write and it feels it's, it's a good discipline for me, but I feel like creating and producing things, it's, it sort of has a, a compounding effect. And if you, if you produce something, so no matter what else happens that day, if I've churned out that one blog post in the morning, it's like, it sets me on the right path. Like I've done right. something, I've You've accomplished, accomplished something. something. Yeah. I can see that. So many of the things we do that you can't check them off. They're ongoing. And right. They're, you know, so you don't have that feeling of like, I built something, I did something. Right. So if I can at least get that to start the day off and, and like, okay, now I've done something. Right. Now um, I can go back to bed. Yeah, that, that, that's often how I how I start it. But um, so I have a lot of emails and Skype conversations with um, young people, whether they're participants in the program or potential participants. Um, I have a lot of a lot of time working with uh, the education director because we're always 
building and changing and enhancing the the sort of curriculum component of the program. I might talk to some of our business partners. I do a lot of podcast interviews on other people's podcasts. I also have a podcast of my own that I do once a week. Um, and, you know, I, people ask me this, like, what do you do uh, every day? And it's so hard as an entrepreneur where I'm in the position, I, I don't have the the ability, and I like this, to sort of specialize in any one area of what our business does. So I'm kind of doing a lot of everything. I honestly don't even know. Like some days I'll look back and my <laughs> wife will say, what did you do today? I'm like, I don't know. And then I'll go, <laughs> I'll go like look through my email. Look, I wrote a blog. I did something. I yeah, okay. Like, well, somehow 150 emails were sent from my account and I read 200, you know, like, I don't know. I was doing stuff today. I'm not sure what, but, um, you know, I'm kind of, I kind of focus a lot on the the business side and, and, you know, keeping up on, on the financials and sort of the big picture vision, like where are we going to go next for growth? What are the pain points? Where can we be improving and kind of working with the team to implement those things? So with that note, before I go, by the way, you're listening to Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Praxis here on Beyond the Business, sponsored by Setup On-Demand Tech Support. Uh, So when you are in that mode of running the business, thinking about the future, growing, scaling, uh, where do you go nowadays for your advice? Where do you get your wise counsel from? Hmm. Yeah, um, and that, that's a that's a great question because it, entrepreneurship is lonely. Uh, it's definitely lonely. The the that's not the first time we've heard that. The, the pressure, the stress, the things you go through. It's one of those things where you don't want to you don't want to go to your team if you're having a tough day and be like, oh my gosh, everything's so hard. This guy I don't know, is I don't know if this is working right. <laughs> and you don't want to go to you, you know my like my wife and I can share things, but I don't want to because I know that I might feel fine half you know three hours later, I don't want to invade her day with my ups and downs. And sometimes you just don't know like what to do. So my brother is probably my most constant source of advice. Cause he's, you know, he got started with his business about five years before I did. And he's, he's amazing. He's great at it. Um, and he has much more of a analytical mind and a mind for the sort of financial side of things. And I'm more of the like, you know, visionary communicator type of a guy. So it's a good compliment. Um, we also have, uh, you know, my, the angel investor I mes- mentioned, um, he and I will talk uh, from time to time. And then I've kind of got like, I don't know, I sort of call it like a kitchen cabinet, just like a, a handful of people that that are not directly necessarily involved in the business day to day, but they, they're interested and they care about it and they've done some similar things themselves. And I feel like there's there's sort of each stage of entrepreneurship, you get to that stage and then you realize, oh, now I understand this person or this book before it was of no value to me. Now I need it. Right. I mean, imagine, I don't know. I'm trying to think of it. If you're, if you're a bike rider and you just learned to ride like Lance Armstrong's tips and tricks for drafting in the tour de France is not going to be of any use to you. Right. But once you get to a certain level, then it does. So sort of at each stage, there are different books. There are different thinkers that I follow. Um, uh, Peter Thiel's book Zero to One was huge for me about a year ago. Um, it was right at the right time. We're kind of trying to scale this thing. Um, hugely, hugely helpful. Uh, I listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast uh, as well as James Altucher, and I find those guys often have guests on that are really, um, really get my stimulate my thinking and sort of help me in that way. So um, it's kind of a hodgepodge. It's kind of a hodgepodge. But uh, Le- Levi is probably the most you know sort of constant source. Now with with Praxis. Um, it's such an, um, an amazing program. I've done my research on it. How would someone know that they are right to, to contact you right for, for practice? Yeah. So, uh, 18 to 25 is kind of the age range and 
since it's a one-year experience, um, we have everything from people right out of high school who do this and never go to college. Get, we had a guy in Atlanta who went to work with a startup um, through the Praxis program. They hired him on full-time afterwards. He's uh, directing uh, director of marketing for them now, um, doing something that he would have thought he would have needed to go to college for. turns out he didn't. Uh, some people do it as a gap year um, to kind of help them figure out what they want to do, and then they might go to college afterwards. Some people do it in the middle of college or after graduation. So regardless of your sort of traditional educational plans, this one-year experience, I would say, is for anyone who they kind of have that entrepreneurial itch. Maybe they don't know where to channel it yet. Um, and they're the type who's sort of, I guess I put it this way, it's, it's sort of that, that person in, in the classroom who's, yeah, they can do fine and get the grades, but they're always kind of like restless. They're always looking for something else. They're, they're the one like running the side scheme, you know, selling sandwiches in the lunchroom or whatever, <laughs> whatever it might be. Um, and they want to get out and engage in the world um, and really, you know, be around people who are building things and creating things and see what that's like. So it's a it's a tough program. I mean, the acceptance rate is around 15 percent. It's competitive. Oh, wow. 15 um, percent. Yeah. I mean, because we, mm-hmm. we have this network of amazing businesses all over the country. We can send you and you're living and working uh, at the wherever the business partner is located. But these businesses, you know, we will burn bridges with them if we send them somebody that's that's a dud who doesn't sure. show up to work and isn't motivated. So um, really, it's that grit and work ethic above all. It's not so much you know, GPA or anything like that, it's, you have that forward tilt. You know, when you're talking with someone and they're leaning into the conversation and they're engaged and they're, you know, it's, it's clear that they're eager and that that's what we really look for above all. So if there's somebody listening this morning, who's either themselves or they've got a, a, a child, uh, I guess it's not a child at that stage. They have a, an adult uh, children that, that are thinking about entrepreneurship think this would be a good program. What's the best way for them to reach out and get in the application process? Yeah, uh, go to discoverpraxis.com. Uh, that's the website, and there's all kinds of information there. The the first stage of the application on the website is pretty, pretty quick, just a couple questions um, that gets you gets you in the process. And we're always happy to, to answer questions, to talk via email, Skype, phone, whatever. But go to discoverpraxis.com. And I want to mention, we actually just launched something new for teens, people who aren't 18 yet, who aren't able to join the program and go move to a new city and and work at a business, um, but are thinking this way. We've had so many people who are 14, 15, 16, or their parents say, well, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. I I might be ready for your program in a few years. What do I do now? So we actually created an e-course, a teen entrepreneurship course, um, that it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's like a a Praxis Junior. Yeah, it's a 60-day thing. So you can do it, you know, while you're in school, while you're whatever. But it's um, to really kind of get you thinking and, and getting that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. It's a lot of self-exploration, like what do I like? What am I good at? How do I inculcate habits? Um, and you can find that at uh, discoverpraxis.teachable.com. Um, so yeah, discoverpraxis.com is really the place to go. It's a great website, by the way. I was on it uh, last night and I had my daughter Annabelle and I were going through, uh, we saw one of your blog posts that said, uh, is your child interested in uh, entrepreneurship? Help them do these five things. And so we spent time going through, it turned out to be a, uh, uh, more of a, a venture in um, her doing improv comedy after we got done because <laughs> that was one of the you know, improvisation. But uh, it was actually a great exercise. So if you're again, if you're a parent and you have a teenager, high schooler, go onto this website. It is really cool to check out and give you some interactive opportunity in the world of entrepreneurship uh, with your uh, children. Yeah, and and from the other side of it, though, you work with so many business partners to um, kind of take in these interns 
what does that look like? Are, do you accept uh, business partners on a regular basis? And and what do you require of them? Yeah, absolutely. We're always always looking to expand our, our network of business partners. And uh, really what we look for, our, our, our ideal is kind of five to 50 employee companies so that they're a place where the Praxis participant will be able to do real work. It's not going to be a cubicle farm where they're just making coffee, um, but it's big enough that it's it's stable. We look for places where the founder is still actively involved, if possible, that are growing, they're dynamic, so it's not just sort of repeating the same thing day in and day out. And places that really want someone who, who is eager to learn, who's got sort of the raw ability. Maybe they come with a few hard skills. Maybe they have some coding skills or something like that. Um, but often it's really just solid communication, thinking skills, and work ethic. So if any of your listeners are business owners and they're looking for a new source of talent, they only pay 10 bucks an hour during the program. So it's a really good deal for them Wow! because the participant's getting the experience in return. And they, they can go to discoverpraxis.com as well. Great. Well, uh, wonderful information. Unfortunately, we have to take our last break. You've been listening to Isaac Morehouse, who's the founder and CEO of Praxis. Of course, you've been doing so here on Beyond the Business, presented by Setup On Demand Tech Support. We'll be back after this short break. You're listening to Beyond the Business, presented by Setup On Demand Tech Support. And welcome back, Low Country, to Beyond the Business presented by Setup On Demand Tech Support. You've been listening to Isaac Morehouse today, founder and CEO of Praxis. Isaac, first of all, we really appreciate Leslie and I do you coming in on a Saturday morning, taking the time, telling a great story, and uh, following up with one from last week with your brother. Thanks so much. Uh, so so far, both of them be, are just be awesome. Honest. Both of them are just <laughs> Who's awesome. better? Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, no, no. Every guest we That's have right. has That's been right. awesome. A unique and snowflake, so, yes. Um, Again, great story. Unfortunately, uh, we have to wind it down a little bit. But um, one of the questions I have before we, we leave here today, you, your, your business, as you mentioned, is involved with uh, businesses all around the country. Uh, but tell us a little bit about how uh, Praxis has been involved with the low country and Charleston community itself. Yeah, you know, when I first launched, um, because I was relatively new to the Charleston area, and because of my previous job, I was traveling so much, I didn't know that many people here. So I knew, I knew a couple. And um, I talked to uh, Vince Graham, who's the uh, with the Ion Group, and he introduced me to a number of people. And one of the people he introduced me to was Adam Witte, who's the uh, founder been a guest of on our show, Advantage Media yeah. Group. Yeah. And then Adam started introducing me to some other people, um, including uh, Steve Parker at Level Wing. So I kind of started to get a little bit of a network there. And those are uh, Advantage Media is a, a business partner. They hosted a participant in our very first class, and then they hired him on. He still works there now. Um, Level Wing has hosted participants for us. Ion hosted a participant. Um, so I kind of got plugged in with some of those businesses, and um, they've been great. I mean, some of our best business partners are here uh, in the low country. And... Um, you know, that's probably the main way. I mean, otherwise, because I'm traveling so much, I do a lot of travel, I do a lot of speaking, um, and because we have business partners all over, um, I'm not here, honestly, as much as I would like to. This is this is the perfect place for our family. We love it. It's got all the things we want for, for sort of raising our kids. Um, so to me, one of the biggest advantages is knowing that when I'm gone, when I'm away, my wife and kids are in a place that they love. Uh, and that was certainly not the case in, in the D.C. area. <laughs> um, so it's been a huge just sort of a, a rock, like a support network as a home base as I'm traveling everywhere. And I got to every time I come out of the airport, when I get home, 
I'm like, why do I ever leave? <laughs> I, a lot, a lot of, people, of people say that. A lot of people say that. And what is your 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 quick um, goal for the next five years? Like, where do you see Praxis in five years? Yeah, I want Praxis to be a well-known opportunity alternative for young people who are unsure whether college is going to get them what they want or grad school. Um, I want it to be sort of a go-to option for those who say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't yet have an idea. So I'm going to go work with an entrepreneur first. So, um, I mean, I see it's really, it's limited only by the number of young people that are willing to take the plunge. Cause it's, it's a serious deal. It's a challenge. It's a big commitment. Um, it's not easy, but, uh, I think, I think there are a lot of young people out there who are ready. There's a need and you're doing great work with it. So thank you. And thanks for sharing your story today. Isaac Morehouse, founder and CEO of Praxis. Of course, you've been listening to him here on Beyond the Business. As we say, people, you know, stories you don't.